0: Welcome, I'm Kara Edwards, the deputy managing partner of DLA Piper's New York office and the co-vice chair of the firm's National Leadership Alliance for Women.
1: And I'm Lorraine Harriton, CEO of Catalyst, the leading nonprofit that helps women advance in the workplace.
0: Lorraine, there's a significant amount of dialogue concerning building inclusive cultures in the workplace. What are some effective approaches for accomplishing such goals? And do we have data that demonstrates that these practices can directly contribute to accelerating the advancement of women?
1: It's been proven in the research that having diverse and inclusive cultures create better results. More importantly, if we want to take advantage of the human capital and everyone is interested in talent, we have to create environments that attract, retain, and get the most out of our talent. So women in the workplace now represent more than 50% of the U.S. labor pool, and women are graduating from colleges and law schools in record numbers, in fact, more than men in many cases. Mm-hmm. So we have to relook at our practices to make sure that we really take advantage of that talent. So we know that... We need commitment and intentionality at the top of the organization. We've got to measure and keep people accountable. And then we've got to do the hard cultural changes so that we create workplaces that disrupt bias and enable equality.
0: Thank you for that, Lorraine. I I too have been watching as more and more women have been entering our industry. But sadly, when you look towards the highest echelons, you don't see as many women. And there are obviously multiple reasons for why that occurs. But tell us, if you could, what are some of the metrics that you help your partners put into place in order to try to solve that gap?
1: You know, we do have a lot more women at entry levels. And compared to when I entered the workplace, we've certainly made progress. So when you get to the middle of the typical organization, you usually have about 25% women in management. But at the very top, at the CEO level, or at the partner level, you're seeing more like 10%, and the CEOs in the US, it's about 6.5%. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of work to do to really move the needle in that way. So the things that I mentioned, which is, first of all, the top management, particularly the CEO, has to be very intentional and committed. They've got to put measurements to really drive change. And then they've got to work on a lot of the practices that can enable women to be successful. Things like sponsoring, things like helping men understand their implicit bias and interrupting that bias. So we have about 70 CEOs who are part of our Champions for Change initiative. They make a deliberate commitment to advance women in the workplace. And we've been measuring them over the last five years. And they report their data. And they've made significant advances in every level since 2013 to 2018. And they're ahead of all their industry benchmarks. So with intentionality and commitment, you can make
0: progress. Excellent. Lorraine, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how employers should address the intersectionality of their employees. Intersectionality is an
1: issue that's on many people's minds. And when we say intersectionality, we talk about the multiple identities we all have gender, race, ethnicity, that we bring to work. So, Catalyst has been really focused on this. In fact, we did a really important research paper around the emotional tax of women of color in the United States, that because they are generally poorly represented, especially in professional ranks, they tend to have to project a certain image that they're not comfortable with, and that puts a lot of stress on them. So you have higher turnover, sleeplessness, lack of performance. So companies need to really be aware of these issues so that they can really make people feel comfortable about bringing their full identity to work and then feel comfortable being part of the team. So we need to train managers to understand these issues, have the frank, open, difficult conversations around this, so we get to understand each other and what some of these behaviors really mean in their culture.
0: So maybe you could define the term emotional tax.
1: Emotional tax is a term that we use to talk about the tax that people of color, women of color in particular, have as being the only in many situations in the workplace. And that means things like they get this they have sleeplessness there's more turnover they can't be as productive it's a tax they have and having to present themselves as something other than the they feel comfortable with on a day-to-day basis culturally now depending on the location depending on the country you know those issues vary so uh, we did a report on the emotional attacks of women of color in Canada it's slightly different there we're about to release a, a report about interrupting sexism in Mexico when we look at places or around the world. There are different issues for different people. But this issue of being someone who is outside of the mainstream culture and having to fit in is the emotional attacks we're talking about.
0: So sitting here, it's so interesting listening to you define something that, honestly, Lorraine, I have felt many times during my career. I can very happily share that it's no longer an issue in my workplace, but I remember being a baby lawyer and oftentimes being the only woman in the room and then certainly the only person of color in the room. And I never felt like I had the terminology to articulate what that visceral feeling was for me. And so I thank you for giving me some new vocab to be able to discuss things that I experienced in my past.
1: And our research on inclusive leadership talks about how the manager creates an environment that is responsible for about 45% of what inclusion is all about. So... We talk about leadership leading out and leading in mm-hmm. to help managers be more effective. So in leading in, they've got to be curious about your situation, have humility about that, ask questions and try mm-hmm. to understand people, have respect. Mm-hmm. So that goes a long way so that when someone's behaving a certain way, you, you try to understand where they're coming from. And in the end, that enables better decision making, people bringing their perspective, people mm-hmm. feeling like they have the latitude mm-hmm. to express themselves and to take risks. Mm -hmm. This ends up with better decision making and a better culture for people to be productive.
0: Lorraine, one of the things that I've seen in my career that drives diversity, inclusion, and belonging within the industry is hearing from our clients how it's a business imperative to have a diverse set of viewpoints, a diverse set of voices, a diverse set of brainpower who's tackling the challenge that any corporation or organization is facing. How has Catalyst influenced the narrative as a business imperative?
1: What you just articulated, Kara, is what we're hearing more and more from people all around the world. In fact, the Business Roundtable and the World Economic Forum have now changed the purpose of, the, of a company not to just be about shareholders, but to be about stakeholders. And stakeholders include the employees, their communities, their supply chain, their customers, and these people are very concerned about diversity, they're concerned about the people who are making decisions. They're, they're making decisions on what they buy, what they invest in, who they work for, based on having diverse and inclusive cultures. So that's one business imperative. Another one is that all the research shows that better decision making is made by having diverse thinking. And lastly, the importance of having the broadest set of talent that you have access to, which means that you've got to have an environment that attracts and retains a broad set of talent,
0: attracts, retains, and also allows that broad set of talent to, to, grow, be, to and grow, to grow, their whole it's self to story, grow and right? thrive. Right. Yes. And I just want to pause for a moment and thank you and thank Catalyst for collecting the data that shows that it works. Because oftentimes in a business situation, when people are talking about a business imperative, they want to see the metrics right? And so I thank you and Catalyst for creating space to get those metrics and show those data that prove that a more diverse and inclusive organization produces better results. And, you know, we
1: have the Catalyst Award. So for over 30 years, we've had a very rigorous award where we really look at the company, we look at their metrics, we go on site, we understand the processes. And, you know, we we show really what great looks like. And we have a whole extensive of archive of best practices from our award winners and then also best practices we've done more broadly and we tie the metrics and we give the metrics associated with that.
0: Could you share a little bit about what Catalyst's research indicates concerning the impact of women leaders and and board members? Well, we
1: know, as we've been discussing, that diverse bodies make better decisions. So it's really important at the board level. And it's important that it's not just one. There's a lot of research that shows that three or more is what you need to really get good decision making. So that's why we see the drive towards 30% 30% with the 30% mm-hmm, Club.
0: Mm-hmm. We see
1: that the, Cal- the California legislation talking about quotas was talking about three. Mm-hmm. So you need people to not feel that emotional tax, to feel that mm-hmm. they can bring themselves into a group that um, has people that are like-minded with them.
0: So Lorraine, our firm has had the opportunity to send representatives to your Future of Work symposium. This is an emerging area for Catalyst. Was this work driven based upon requests from your many corporate partners?
1: You know, honestly, and I've been at catalyst for 18 months, it's something that I've been personally very interested in since I spent much of my life in Silicon Valley, and I'm very attuned to some of these things. But as I came into the organization with this is a hypothesis of a new area of focus for us, I started talking to a lot of our supporters, and people really resonated with it. So we added it to make it a really strong pillar for our focus, and we've gotten a lot of excitement about that. You know, companies are spending a lot of time on thinking about the future of work because we know that technological change is enabling a a very major change in what work is all about. Mm -hmm. So there. Focused on it, but they're not necessarily focused on what that means for women. So that's where we can play a role.
0: What do you believe are among the most important emerging workplace trends, Lorraine?
1: Well, based on the symposium and the work we've been doing, the first trend that really I want to highlight is reskilling and upskilling and lifelong mm-hmm. learning. So because of the major disruption in the nature of work, the old model is you go to school. You have your career, then you retire. Mm-hmm. That is completely disrupted. Mm-hmm. People, jobs are changing so rapidly that people are who are going to be successful have to continually reskill. So companies are looking at Where are the jobs? What are the job skills are? Where are my people? How do I give them a path to go where we need to go? One of the things that's come out of all this is that technical skills are important. Mm -hmm. And data and digital literacy are like the ABCs of the 21st century. It is really the 21st century people skills that are really going to be the differentiator. Creativity, collaboration, communication, Mm -hmm. critical thinking, empathy. And that is where women, Many women have real, are really great at that, whether mm-hmm. it's you know, because of socialization, because of the types of jobs many women are in mm-hmm. on, that are on the front line. They bring those skill sets and can work with machines because machines can do the, the rote types of things mm-hmm. and people can bring those human skills. So I think there's a real opportunity for women in this change.
0: Can you speak a little bit more between the difference of reskilling versus upskilling, or are those synonyms?
1: I, I think it's used as a generic term, but you know, you're not just reskilling, you have to upskill people, and in many cases, to a more robust set of capabilities. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that's where the term comes from.
0: Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Many of my clients, and I'm sure many of the supporters that Catalyst works with, are organizations that are looking for ways to be more efficient and to work smarter. And part of that requires being agile, right, and moving with innovation and where the market's going.
1: I think companies that are not are not going to be in business. Well said. You know, another area of real importance is how do we build flexible virtual workplaces that leverage technology and give people more flexibility and choice in in their work. So this has been a trend for many years, you know, now we know a lot of people work from home, they come in, they work late at night, but Really developing the best practices around how to do that is really critical, because in many of the studies about what's important to people, second to compensation, it's flexibility. Mm -hmm. And especially if we want women and everyone to have the most fulfilling lives, really leveraging that is really going to make a difference. So in Catalyst itself, you know, we are really working towards being the best in class in terms of virtual environments, because we know it's important to people. And there's a whole set of protocol and rules about how to do that well that will give people more meaning in their lives.
0: That's great to hear. In my own practice I've noticed some things change over the years. In terms of technology, you know, our cell phones, our iPads, all this technology, I think oftentimes has the pitfall of disconnecting us because we're not looking at each other eye to eye anymore, and we're not speaking with one another live and and reading off one another's signals. But one way that technology has brought us together is one simple thing that we have at DLA is the ability to have a telepresence which is basically just like the next level of video conferencing. But it allows me to mentor junior associates in another city by having lunch with them and talking about what they're working on so that we feel a deeper level of connection without actually being in the same place. Well,
1: a catalyst I mandated, we went to Microsoft Teams, and I mandated that every conversation it has to be a video conversation so that people can have that as rich a possible experience. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think that's, that's an important example Example of the types of things you need to do to have an effective virtual uh, workplace. Yeah.
0: I'd like to switch gears just for a moment and talk a little bit about engaging our male colleagues in this work. I understand Catalyst has been working to develop men as allies and inclusive leaders for quite some time. But now you've got a new program called MARC, Men Advocating Real Change. Can you talk a little bit about what MARC is hoping to achieve?
1: Mark is a program that we started rolling out actually several years ago. And it was based on research we did, actually supported by Procter & Gamble originally, based on the premise that it can't be just all about the women, that Men represent most of the power, and they need to be allies. So we did research on that. We developed a very effective workshop that is very, very popular now among our supporters. So it's actually recently went through it. It's about a day and a half, and it's mostly men but some women in the workshop and really trying to help men understand the privilege, white men in particular, and let them understand the biases that they have. And that takes a long time because everyone has bias, but we don't recognize Absolutely. our biases. And then help them become allies and give them the tools to interrupt bias in the workplace, have the right type of empathy, be a sponsor, give women the hot jobs, you know. So it gives them the skills to be effective in doing that. And now we're actually scaling mark. More- Even further, we got a major grant from Chevron um, that was interested in this area, and they had innovated themselves something called, it was like leaning groups for men. So now we're taking that, and we've turned it into something called Mark Dialogues, which allows small teams to work together in a structured way to learn about mark over a year or two year period and that will allow us to really scale mark across the entire enterprise because it's critical that Everyone understands this, that it's part of the culture, that that first-line manager is part of it. It's not something you can just do with a workshop at the top of the Mm -hmm. organization. So we're excited to have the support from our supporters who have been part of MARC, that they want to have it happen all around the world and at every level. We at Catalyst recently came out with research on being an inclusive leader, and we have talk about leading in and leading out out. And I personally look at that on a regular basis because it really helps me. So leading in talks about being curious, being humble, being an active ally. And leading out is having ownership and accountability. Actually, allyship is part of leading out. So I look at those and think about it myself on a daily basis on what I can do to be an inclusive leader every day in what I do.
0: That is so wonderful to hear, Lorraine, and it just really made me chuckle a little bit because I have looked at those materials recently, and they so resonated with me. I shared them with a couple of my colleagues, and we printed them out, and they are now tacked to my my board in my office to be a constant reminder of checking not just how I come to work every day and leading by example, but actually being a more, a fuller leader in that I'm taking risks and that I'm remaining accountable for advice that I give and that I'm always listening because what I've learned over the years is that every single person that I've mentored can teach me something just as I teach them something. Thank you so much, Lorraine, for your thoughtful insights on these important topics that continue to evolve.
1: And Cara, thank you so much for your interest in this topic and for DLA's passion around the mission.